Hey guys, I want to welcome you to the weekly Wednesday for the Financial Freedom Newsletter, where every week, every Wednesday, we delve into something inspirational, motivational, something excerpt taken from the Financial Freedom Weekly Newsletter. Wherever you are, if you're listening on Spotify, on iTunes, Google, be sure to click the like, subscribe, share, comment. Without ado, let's get into the show. Hey guys, welcome to this week's podcast episode for the Financial Freedom Podcast. And as you know, I'm always on the leading edge, searching for leading talent, people with novel, novel ideas, and on the cutting edge of culture, mainstream society, finance. So today, I'm really happy to introduce uh, Corey Carbon, and he is actually a he's a crypto strategist and fitness enthusiast, personal development, and we're going to talk all about. What is the difference between blockchain and Bitcoin? What is the difference between Bitcoin and crypto? And try to shed some light on the uh, existing financial system, the existing media, and why these topics get such a bad rap, as well as where it can possibly fit in your overall portfolio. So, Corey, welcome. Thank you, Chris. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I know we had uh, connected through Podmatch, and um, like I said, any sort of innovation is always going to have haters. And um, so let's start from there. Your story, how you got started, and we'll delve into it. Well, absolutely. So I grew up most of my life in Nebraska. So you know, by default, you just become a Warren Buffett fan because the only thing we really had in that state was corn. <laughs> which my first job was working in a cornfield making 475 an hour so I'm traumatized for life. Uh, the other thing we had was Nebraska football in the 1990s which we're still living in those glory days. We haven't won in decades now. And the other thing was Warren Buffett. So I uh, really ascribe to the Warren Buffett value investing philosophy especially from him Ben Graham. Um, you know that's just something that I built my entire investing foundation on. So when digital assets came to be and Bitcoin really came to the scene I didn't really pay much attention to it, especially when, you know, the Silk Road happened in 20, you know, what, what he said and Charlie Munger said about that, uh, as well as just the whole Bitcoin philosophy. But of course, they didn't understand. They didn't know. It would be like me asking my grandfather or great grandfather, you know, hey, how does an iPhone work? Like they, they're still stuck on rotary phones. So why would you ask even as smart as he is with investing Warren Buffett on Bitcoin? The technology is just way above his circle of competence and that's using his words so when i took a dive in because i was just very curious uh to me it was a total no-brainer you know i was looking at investment opportunities because i was starting a uh, an investment fund and i you know, i wanted to find a way to hedge the market that's different than just traditional value investing so the first thing that caught my eye is supply and demand and you know the the supply and demand every four years as you and your viewers are probably aware an event happens it's called the halving cycle so every 10 minutes the block of bitcoin transactions that's recorded in an open source ledger gets filled up and then to create a new bot block a miner has to come in and solve a very complex algorithm and they're rewarded in bitcoin and once that algorithm is solved the next block of transaction starts filling up and it just repeats every 210,000 blocks. When that happens and 210,000 blocks are filled, then the halving 
means that the reward the miners receive gets cut in half. And that happens every four years. So what ends up happening is the supply of Bitcoin is decreasing. But if the demand stays the same or the demand increases, then that just means due to supply suffocation that eventually the price is going to go up. So barring any short-term volatility, which I'm sure you've seen if you've been in the space for a long time, you know, you'll see 60,000 and you'll see 30,000 and you feel like a huge panic happens whenever there's a dip. But we always say to people, when you're looking at Bitcoin as an investment, zoom out, look at a five-year, 10-year horizon, zoom out, and then also project forward, not in a two-year period, but in five years, 10 years, 50 years. So if the supply is going down, the demand stays the same or goes up, you're going to see that suffocation cause a drastic increase in price. So greedily, that's what eventually got my attention. But once I really understood the transparency of the Bitcoin ledger, how open source blockchain works, uh, the deflationary asset of its monetary policy, how it can basically erode borders in terms of international ways of doing business with people, um, you know, as well as giving power back to the people. You know, I've had a rough life. I've had a, you know, some unfortunate incidents that have happened to me. So when I saw Bitcoin, as cheesy as it sounds, I saw it, I saw it as a way to start over. And I saw it as hope of a new generation of wealth where you know, good luck getting into a, uh, you know, IPO of a multi-billion dollar corporation because you have to be in the inner crowd, the inner circle. And this is a good way for anybody to get in regardless of their economic status or, or, or anything that you've done in your life. So that's what caught my attention. I dove in. I'm an obsessive person and I haven't looked back. Such a fascinating and great way to lay the groundwork because I think it's like, um, you know, I've, I've followed it since 2012. And, um, you know, if you Asked me 2012, 2013, hugely speculative. It's like, you know, tulips. But, you know, as time progresses, you know, you got spot ETFs pending. And um, now Bitcoin is a commodity. You can't really get attacked by the SEC and mm -hmm. nations are adopting it. And so I think, you know, that is like the green light, especially the, you know, the having cycle as well. Um, and at, at its core, Bitcoin is a technology, it's an idea, money is an idea, networks, and it's a different way of looking at finances compared to traditional. So Definitely. Um, similar is one thing that um, I want to touch upon is um, this idea, you know, especially Warren Buffett, Jamie Dimon, people go on the CNBC, they say Bitcoin is poison. Larry Fink even said it, you know, now they're applying for a spot ETF. He said, you know, it's funny how that works out, right? <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, you know, Jerome Powell recently went on CNBC and said that, uh, you know, there's a place for Bitcoin as well. So, um, but talk yeah, about but like, the, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> I was going to say the IMF today came out and said that countries that are banning digital assets altogether are taking the wrong strategy. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's slowly, you know, slowly one chip falls, another chip falls as well. So like, if you look at it in terms of the internet internet basically the bubble was 2001 you know i think mm -hmm. before that you know basically you know 96 97 was where where are we like with bitcoin in if you compare it to the internet like you know time wise time wise it's uh it's difficult to say because i think i think we uh you know because bitcoin goes in four year waves but if you look at the if you look at the price action of bitcoin from 2011 which is when it obtained its first monetary value of 0 0.0001 cents. So just imagine buying hundreds of Bitcoins when it wasn't even worth a dollar and how you're doing today, you're, you're doing extremely well, but each high and each low. So when a halving happens, usually 12 to 18 months after that halving event, you see a 
all-time high. And this has happened for three or four cycles in a row now. And then you see market liquidation because people get very rich. And if they want to liquidate certain positions in order to cash out, that's, you know, that's great. That's, that's part of investing is enjoying the fruits of your labor. But what ends up happening is each high and each low, that gap is narrowly coming down. So if you, if you imagine a cone going this way, you know, each high and each low, it's slowly getting less and less volatile. So every four years, the high isn't quite as high as the four-year cycle prior, and the low isn't quite as low. So for example, it has gone as far as 90% dips after its all-time high before, and this time I think it only did about 75 to 80 which is uh, still crazy if uh, you know a traditional investor looks at it, but nothing in comparison to what it did before. And I project that the, you know, of course, I don't know for sure, none of us do, but I project the all-time high isn't going to be a 10x like it was previously. It might be a 5 or 10x this time at the most, you know, and the low is not going to be a, a 90% drop. It might be a 60 to 70% drop. So the the reason why is because the amount of Bitcoin that's being flooded into the market isn't as high as it was. And it's being more widespread adopted. I, I always attribute it to the, you know, speak of the dot-com bubble. It's the same thing that Amazon experienced when they received a 95% dip in their share price after the dot-com bubble. So Jeff Bezos came out and said, I don't care what the stock is doing. I, I don't, you know, we might've lost 90%, 95% of the value, but our cash is higher than it's ever been. Our profit margins are better than it's ever been. We have more sales than we've ever had. So why should I care about what the stock is doing when the company is doing better than they ever have? And that's the same thing with Bitcoin is the protocol has run flawlessly for over 10 years now without any hiccup, yeah. not, one, not one hiccup in the blockchain. So whether the price is at 60,000, 20,000 or 90,000, it's still running absolutely perfect. And in fact, as each node so, you know, a, a node is a device, which I actually have a node, and it's a device that stores the entirety of the Bitcoin blockchain. And what it's able to do is you're able to ver verify, validate transactions and view everything on the open source ledger. So every time a new node gets added to it, it's like a skyscraper in New York. You have one here, you got one here, and you have like a rope that's going across it. And every node that gets added is like, a rope that's you know being wove into that it's strengthening it so more nodes that happen it's like more wires that are being intertwined it's just becoming a stronger stronger connection and it's decentralizing it more so as time goes by and more nodes come onto the system it's just strengthening the blockchain and making it even more difficult for a hacker or any government to disrupt or prove that there is not security in the actual bitcoin blockchain yeah. So I, I think we have a long way to go. However, um, in terms of the security, it's as high as it's ever been. Um, it's better. It's 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 running smoother for longer. And now it's just more uh, about figuring out regulation as well as having other smaller nations, smaller sovereign nations adopt Bitcoin as legal tender. So we have El Salvador right now. We have Af you know, small countries in Africa that are doing it. I project in the next halving cycle, probably after 2025, you'll see one or two other um, smaller nations do it, and you'll just kind of see it slowly happen from there until one big nation does it, and that might be in the 2030. You know, it's it's impossible to tell, but uh, it's it's really exciting to think of where it will, where it where it'll be. Yeah, sounds like what you're describing is the maturation of a new asset class, a digital asset class, mostly you know Bitcoin. Um, the other question we I get for, you know for people that don't follow it is this idea between the difference between blockchain 
Bitcoin and crypto kind of distinguish what are those, you know, those three or kind of, you know, crypto is the one that gets the bad rap, you know, but uh, it kind of distinguishes. Yeah. And it, and it, and it should, you know, <laughs> it, it should get the bad rap because I'm, you know, I, I run a crypto hedge fund. It's registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Um, you know, we invest in crypto, blockchain, Bitcoin, and Ethereum are our main long-term holdings, but we use a lot of AI. And I also run a coaching program called the Mamba Approach, where I teach people how to invest. But in order to invest successfully, you actually have to develop good habits in your own life first. So it's funny, but, you know, people teach investing courses all the time. I teach how to get in shape first, how to actually create a routine in your life and consistency in your daily habits, because if you can't create consistency in your daily habits, you're never going to invest successfully because that also requires consistency as well. Right. Yeah. So another, you know, what, what the, the main focal point of the education of crypto is, is you have Bitcoin, which is the first generation of blockchain. I always find it funny when somebody says, I like blockchain, but I don't like Bitcoin. That's like saying, I like the weather, but I don't like the earth. Like it doesn't make any sense without Bitcoin. There is no blockchain. So you have to love it. You absolutely have to love it. So that's first generation. And it's used mainly for payment systems and the store of wealth. And then you have second generation, which is Ethereum. So Ethereum uses the same validation process that Bitcoin did, which was the proof of work before it moved to proof of stake. And, you know, we don't, we could talk about that for three hours on end. We'll just keep it at that for now. But, you know, what Vitalik Buterin did when he developed Ethereum is he wanted to create a general purpose blockchain. And what that meant is you're using blockchain technology in order to build other applications on top of it. So the best analogy that I use, it's like, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know if you've heard of Westfield Mall, one of the biggest wall malls in the world. So they have properties literally all over the world. So if Westfield Mall comes into your town and they buy acres of land and they demolish everything and they build an infrastructure for other companies to come in and open stores within their mall, you know, Westfield Mall is the equivalent of Ethereum. That's the equivalent of the Ethereum blockchain. And then what they have done now is they say, okay, you can come in and you can build a store on our blockchain. So Ethereum created something called a smart contract. And that's very similar to creating a lease for a business in the Westfield Mall analogy. So if I'm Gold's Gym, and I always use Gold's Gym because I used to work there prior to getting into investing and everything like that. That's why I'm so fitness oriented too. But if I use Gold's Gym and they come in and they build a gym on top of Westfield Mall, they have to sign a lease agreement. They have to abide by the rules, et cetera, et cetera. So that's where crypto, the bad name of crypto comes in because anybody could build what's called an ERC-20 token on top of the Ethereum blockchain. And it's called a decentralized application, otherwise known as a DAP. So as long as you abide by the rules, you can go and you could build but the only difference is, is you're creating your own ecosystem. So if you want to create an NFT platform, maybe blockchain gaming, you know, a, a dating decentralized application where, you know, everything is verified on the blockchain, or maybe you create a logistics company that wants to track if the bottle of wine that you bought that says made in Italy is actually made in Italy. So on that blockchain, it could say, oh, this is when and where the grapes were picked. This is who picked them. This is when it was packaged. This is when it was shipped to America. This is where it was bottled. And boom, there it's on your front door. So those are a lot of the applications. The only difference is anybody could do it. So you have this very 
unfortunate term called a rug pull. So the way crypto gets a bad name is somebody can build their own decentralized application on a blockchain, create their own token, and then they can artificially pump it, and then the founders can dump it. And that's where really regulation does need to come in because there are a lot of people, and as long as you understand the risk, that's fine. I've actually made a lot of money on moonshots, like ridiculous amounts. However, you have to go in knowing the risk. But when people go in not knowing the risk and somebody can anonymously just rug pull, that's where crypto gets a bad name. But what really gets crypto a bad name isn't blockchain itself or isn't Ethereum or isn't Bitcoin. It's usually the exchanges that are hosting it. So when you hear of a liquidation issue or if you hear of a company like BlockFi or FTX that are using leverage and artificially you know, inflating the price of their token, and then you have what's called a bank run on their exchange, and then they don't have enough money to satisfy the withdrawals. So that's not Bitcoin's fault, you know, and that's not Ethereum's fault. 99% of the tokens out there usually are not very good because of the process that I just explained to you. However, it's 99 times out of 100, the fault of the hosting company or the exchange that's allowing trading to take place. And so that's where crypto gets a bad rap is people don't understand the actual blockchain process and they look at the failures and that's usually due to lack of transparency, lack of regulation, and also just a lack of accountability. If FTX, I could go a whole story on FTX and why it actually crashed, but we just unfortunately wouldn't have enough time. But one of the reasons why is because they couldn't obtain loans in the United States. So they created FTX International. They created the FTT token. They artificially inflated it. Then they all of a sudden have this huge valuation. They got loans that they took out and then they went and leveraged those loans. And then I'm talking like 100 to 1, 200 to 1. And then once everybody found out that the tokens are artificially inflated, everything crashed. They didn't have enough money. But yet all of a sudden they found $5 billion to pay back in Bitcoin. I, I don't get it. But that's where it has a bad name. So unfortunately, these bad actors have given um, a bad taste in the mouth to a lot of retail investors that aren't educated. So one of my missions is to educate as many people as possible. That way they understand what it actually is, what it's actually about, and what it could do to potentially help just unite society, save the financial system, and provide fair financial equality for everybody. Yeah. So it sounds like, uh, you know, it's pe bad people using a technology for bad, you know, bad purposes. It, but you don't see that with like the of course there's scams with bitcoin but the bit the technology itself is it's decentralized so you know bad actors can't go and you know steal you know it's basically a technology but but then there's like you know scams to people send sending bitcoin to different wallets Other well i always say to yeah i always say to that too it's you know same thing there's plenty of cash scams you know all drug deals made worldwide are basically done in cash you know there's there's remember that envelope scam that was going around like oh put three dollars in an envelope and send it that's i mean that's a cash scam too you know and it's uh it's you know when 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 somebody creates a fake profile a fake bitcoin scam it's uh, the difference is is a smart you know somebody that's really smart in the digital space can view that on the blockchain trace it back to an ip address if they really wanted to can't do that with cash so yeah. it's uh it's 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 unfortunate that that was always associated with it. I think that's becoming less and less as time goes by, but there are still a lot of, you know, politicians, older school people that look at that and say, oh, you shouldn't do crypto. It's like, yeah. no, it's it's just people are bad. Crypto's not. Crypto yeah. just is. Cash just is. Doesn't make a decision.
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a technology. The other question is uh, percentage. Should people kind of use this to kind of diversify, get exposure? Of course, not 100%. You know, what is acceptable risk parameters? Well, the younger you are, there's uh, you know, there's no such thing as high risk and low risk. What there is is just risk tolerance. When you're if you're a little younger, and I say younger under the age of 50, if you're a little younger, your your portfolio can be a little more weighted in digital assets. Now, if you're over the age of 50, not so much, especially if you're looking to retire and live off your investments. So if you're in your 20s, you can have a high weighted crypto portfolio. But again, you don't want to put all your eggs into that basket. So and if you do, you have to understand the market cycle so well that it's like what Ray Dalio says, if you try to invest w- alongside with the hedge fund New York individuals, you're going to lose every time. So, I mean, and I'm talking about shorting, going long and using options. Same thing with crypto is you have to understand exactly what it does and you have to look for the signals in the market to be able to, to, to skillfully invest. So I would say 10% is a good amount to allocate to your portfolio. And, you know, we use an asset allocation model that if you're, you know, whatever amount you decide, that's the amount you decide, you know, and you stick to your plan, you create a plan, you create some kind of a DCA approach to it, where you're doing once a week, once a month, twice a month, once a quarter, where no matter what, you're going to be funneling a little bit of money into your digital assets. And then from that asset allocation plan, you can strategize it a little more. I would say... A good 60% of that should be in Bitcoin. And I would say another 20 to 30% of that should be in Ethereum. And then the rest should be in altcoins or moonshots. And there are some good altcoin projects that are out there, like a Cardano. I, I used to think Binance was a good one, but I'm a little, little unsure these <laughs> days. I used to think Solana was good. Again, a little unsure, but you know, XRP, there's 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 a handful of projects that are real that are being worked on and that are legitimate, they just haven't gained the traction. And that's third generation blockchain. So that's where, you know, they're trying to solve the scalability issue and process more transactions per second. They're trying to do it with cheaper computational energy. So it doesn't use as many resources because the projects haven't gained traction as much as Bitcoin and Ethereum. They're not quite as decentralized and not quite as secure. There have been certain wormhole hacks with Solana um, and there has been certain times that that blockchain has is, is gone down because they're trying to process 60,000 transactions per second. So they're trying to build on a foundation that's not quite there yet. So that's why I don't go as heavy into those. And if you ever do an altcoin and it goes 10x, 100x, sell some profits and redistribute that back into Bitcoin and Ethereum um, or you know buy a car, go on a vacation. I've gone on plenty of vacations because of crypto profits before. It's been great. <laughs> Um, but you know, I, we also use in the Mamba approach and my hedge fund, we use a lot of AI. So we take a big portion of a crypto portfolio. We use algorithmic high frequency trading, which kicks off profits in either Bitcoin or, or cash. And then we could use those to stabilize the portfolio and, or reinvest, but that's kind of next level trading for a lot of people. But if you're brand new getting started, you know, let's say you do a hundred bucks a week and that's your, your allotment towards crypto. You know, spend $50 to $65 of that, just buy Bitcoin week in, week out. You'll catch the market highs, you'll catch the market lows. But over time, if you're doing it for five years or more, you're going to come out probably a 35 to 40% returns per year. Um, you know, and then 25 to 30% Ethereum, and then find some good altcoins like a Cardano or a Solana or an XRP or something else that you want to put a little money in with the hopes that eventually it could take off. Yeah. Yeah. Fascinating conversation. It's just, it's a new asset class. It's a technology. 
different ways to look at it, allocate your portfolio, you know, be, be careful of scams and bad actors. Mm -hmm. And um, well, and I, I will say too, and another smart thing to do, and, you know, just speaking of bad actors is, you know, you have a centralized exchange. So, you know, the, the two exchanges I only use are Kraken and Coinbase. And I use Coinbase Pro. Um, although Coinbase has kind of, you know, got an uphill battle because they're saying, screw you FCC, let's go ahead and uh, let's battle this out. Kraken actually rolled over, paid the fine, and they're not being messed with it all right now, which is good because, you know, you want some stability. But, you know, you purchase, you have to purchase crypto assets on a centralized exchange. But if you really want to keep them secure and if they're long-term holdings, if you're trading, keep it on a centralized exchange, totally fine. But if you're storing it long-term, get it off into a Web3 wallet like Exodus, for example, or MetaMask. And then you can hold them in a Web3 wallet that is completely separate from exchanges. So if Kraken and Coinbase go down for any reason, you still have your crypto assets. And if you want to sell them, you just funnel it to an exchange that's up and running and that has liquidity. But if you really want to get secure, you take it offline in what's called a cold storage wallet. I'm sure you've heard of that too. And then that way you can take your cold storage wallet, very similar to a USB drive. You can store it in a fireproof safe, have it locked up, and that way nobody could ever hack your crypto. Yeah. If you want to get really, really crazy on the Bitcoin uh, network, you can create your own node with your own lightning wallet, and then you can have encryption that's more secure than the Pentagon. Yeah. Yes. And then that way you can really, that's, that's, that's really, and that's when you truly become your own bank. But when you have your, your crypto offline or in a Web3 wallet, your chances of getting hacked or a, a centralized exchange shutting down and affecting you goes down drastically. And yeah. that's what, that, that's where it really, really becomes uh fun yeah self-custody i love it and um so uh yeah so th thanks for a fantastic discussion and um you know i think the audience can come away with you know the differences and kind of understand you know start to enlighten themselves where can people contact you follow you check your social media your resources etc yes absolutely so you can connect with me on instagram and i uh, post a lot of content on there in terms of exercising fitness mindset and crypto and that's at cm.carbone and that's c-a-r-b-o-n-e uh, you can find me on youtube and it's uh the mamba approach very simple just like kobe right <laughs> and then uh the hedge fund website that my partner and I operate is Pivotal. Yes. So Pivotal Point Capital is our web, uh, hedge fund registered with the SEC. And uh, we have all the information on it there. So, you know, you can see all aspects of what we do, you know, YouTube, whether it's YouTube, Instagram, or directly to the website. Yeah. And for all the audience out there, let's thank Corey for coming onto the show. Really interesting. And uh, all of his resources will be in the links and show notes. And thanks so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you very much for your time, Chris. And uh, if you guys need anything that are watching this, don't hesitate to reach out, shoot me a DM, leave me a comment. I'll be more than happy to help. I hope you really enjoyed that wonderful, inspirational, motivational piece. Again, if you, wherever you are listening, if you liked it, be sure to like, comment, share, subscribe. We're on everywhere, Spotify, iTunes, Google, Amazon, Audible. And without much ado, be sure to thank this show's sponsors, and we'll see you next week.